0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.01 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 28th of September in the year 2020. This is episode 294 of Bitcoin. And we got to say congratulations to Novak. Novak, uh, introducing fork number two into the world. That's what he's calling his second child. Apparently this occurred sometime. I don't know, I guess really early this morning. Um, uh, so congratulations, Novak, you and the, you and the little lady and the bigger brother, all that kind of stuff, man. Congratulations. It's good to have more good people in this world. And I know that your kids are probably going to turn out to be pretty cool, man. All right. Let's see what, oh, oh, okay. Before I get out of community stuff, uh, Friday, I took part of the single largest audit of any commodity company money supply. It doesn't matter. You name it. I was part of it. Uh, feel proud to have done so. We ran the numbers at block 650,000 and as far as i can tell everybody got the same number except one guy who then figured out that he had made a mistake in typing yeah so to something like eight decimal places we uh we ran the numbers and it was a, just it was sort of amazing to watch because within seconds of 650 uh 650,000 turning over my the the column that I was using on TweetDeck to monitor, uh, run, hashtag run the numbers, blew up. It was it was just amazing. It was like 650 just flipped over, and then, man, this stack of tweets just started pouring out. So now it seems as if, well, no, it, it seems that, um, oh, well, who was it? My node uh, got on the horn. The guys at MyNodeBTC who make the manufacturers of MyNode, the software, and if you want to get the Raspberry Pi through them, you can do that too. It's what I use to run a node. And even these guys are suggesting that they install this script that will look at um, a particular block height sometime in the future uh, permanently. And I'm saying yes. I think there needs to be an like an audit section on the front page of when you go to my node, there should be like a little square that says Bitcoin audit and enable. button. and then if you enable it, you can, you know, maybe have a couple of parameters for like, you know, starting at this block, then every 10,000 blocks, which is, I think is something like two weeks. I can't remember exactly how long it takes to clear that. But like every two weeks, everybody have an audit and <clears throat> just run the numbers all the time because apparently we're the only ones that can, right? Nobody knows how much Ethereum there is, which is what we're going to talk about next. Okay, so this blog from, I it, I don't know where I picked this thing up at, but it was a response to run the numbers on Friday and it was, cfbenchmarks.com releases, I don't really know what it is. It seems to be an apology for not being able to do shit with uh, Ethereum. But on the 25th of September, uh, they write this. <laughs> for CF Benchmarks, Ether supply is case closed, though hashtag gate rages on. Uh, the great Ether supply debate has become something of a movable feast in crypto, and for good reason. Chiefly because it strikes at the very heart of Ether's validity as a cryptocurrency asset and, in turn, a store of value. So the go—I mean, this thing is like—is really long, and it- there's lots of words, massive amounts of explanations and descriptions, and all kinds of stuff. But you know what? There's not. There's not actually any code in here that suggests how they were able to come up with the numbers that they do put in. Okay, so there's a gra- there's a, a table here, Figure Three, if you want to know, uh, Ether total supply and capitalization as of the 29th of July 2020. And I'm just gonna read 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 the table. Snap date it was the let's see July 29th. The implementation date was. Looks like July the 31st. Block height was 10,555,215. Full supply by design, okay, is a heading. So the Ethereum EXCL Uncle rewards was 109,140,420. <laughs> the ETH max supply, including Uncle, okay, excluding Uncle rewards. The max possible, including Uncle rewards, was 176 million, and let's see, 439,324. The total fungible supply is 111 million. The total supply likely to be available for trading—I love that—likely to be available is 100 million. The free float ratio is 89.39%. Full capitalization. Total fungible supply multiplied by the price is $36 billion. The free float capitalization, the total supply likely available for trading times the price is $32 billion. Not a single word of how they came up with these numbers. There's no code. There's no proof that these numbers, there's nothing here except pages and pages and pages of apologies. So this was apparently their response for us being able to run get transaction set info output. That that's all that's all I ever do when I'm running the numbers. I just put in this command. That's that's all it takes and everybody did it on Friday. Not well not everybody. Some people cheesed out so you know who you are, but let's get on into the news. Hal Finney's Proposal for optimizing Bitcoin to be enabled in Bitcoin Core. This is Andrew Yang writing on September the 26th for btctimes.com. Today, a patent involving the acceleration of cryptographic operations on uh, elliptic curves has expired. Invented by Gallant, Lambert, and Vanstone, this technique is commonly referred to as the GLV endomorphism and can now be activated in Bitcoin Core in order to approve the speed and efficiency of Bitcoin's signature verification. The use of GLV endomorphism was first explored by Hal Finney, one of Bitcoin's earliest contributors and the first person to receive a Bitcoin transaction from Satoshi Nakamoto. In his BitcoinTalk.org post on February 8, 2011, Finney shared that it had been that he had been inspired to experiment with this technique after reading the Guide to Elliptic Curve Cryptography by Hankerson, Mises, and Vanstone, the same Vanstone who submitted the patent. His initial tests were promising, revealing an estimated 25% increase in the optimization of signature verification since then. The feature has been implemented in Bitcoin Core, but has yet to be enabled due to the existing patent around the cryptography that was filed on December the 23rd, 1999. Quote, Implementing it was one of the original motivations in, in developing the LibSec P256K1 library, which has since replaced all cryptographic use uh, of OpenSSL and Bitcoin Core, shared Andrew Polstra of Blockstream with the BTC Times. Quote, but it was disabled by default to avoid patent concerns and has never been enabled in Bitcoin Core. With the patent expiring, Bitcoin developers will now move quickly. To enable GLV endomorphism, the feature has actually had actually been rigorously tested through the development of LibSec 256K1 library, or LibSec P 256K1 library, making the optimization just as well tested and mature as any other part of the library. Once activated, nodes should expect to see a significant drop in ongoing resource usage as Bitcoin Core will now utilize the new signature verification method for freshly received transactions and blocks. Quote, once you've caught up to the tip, nodes need to verify every new transaction and blocks that come in. All of that will see a direct reduction in CPU usage, Peter Woola of Chaincode Labs told the BTC Times. Dr. Adam Back of Blockstream commented, this performance involvement was first drawn attention to to, for use in Bitcoin by Hal Finney. Even though he's no longer with us, his contributions can still be felt. Running Bitcoin The use of GLV endomorphism is is expected to be activated in Bitcoin Core with the next core release. So be looking out for that. Barry Silbert added again, Grayscale adds $186 million worth of Bitcoin to its reserves. Liam Frost writing for Decrypt.co sometime today, in fact. And Liam is going to say... Over the past week, digital asset management firm Grayscale Investment has increased its reserve by 17,100 Bitcoin. According to its website and crypto analytics platform, Bybit.com, that's an increase of $186.5 million. As a result, the GBTC Bitcoin Trust, which was created in 2013, now amounts to nearly 450,000 BTC or $4.7 billion. This corresponds to 2.5% of the amount of Bitcoin in circulation. This doesn't necessarily mean Grayscale is buying this Bitcoin directly. It can either purchase Bitcoin on behalf of clients or it can issue shares in exchange for Bitcoin. Oh man, it sounds like a claim to me. In the latter case, it wouldn't be sucking up any of the available supply and wouldn't be affecting its price. The increase in Grayscale's reserves comes amid a pullback in the price of Bitcoin. Earlier this month, the first cryptocurrency made another unsuccessful attempt to gain a foothold above 12000 and has been trading mostly above $10,000 since then. While the Bitcoin fund constitutes the lion's share of Grayscale's funds, the company now has around $5.8 billion worth of assets under management in total, according to its latest report. As Decrypt reported, Grayscale received over $217 million worth of digital asset trust investments in a single week after launching a TV ad campaign, which didn't even mention Bitcoin. (laughs) Assholes. Sorry, but that's the way I feel about it. In early September, the firm has also published a report for investors that suggested that today's market is reminiscent of early 2016, the period that preceded Bitcoin's historic bull run. If history does repeat itself, Grayscale is in the right position. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. But yeah, not mentioning Bitcoin in that ad, I don't understand what Barry, I just don't get Barry. I kind of get Michael Saylor, though. MicroStrategy CEO, Bitcoin is a better bet than holding cash. Shara Mal was writing this one for btctimes.com. In case you are not sick of hearing of Michael Saylor, here we go sailing away. MicroStrategy's CEO, Michael Saylor, is sold on Bitcoin's promise of a global hedge against fiat currencies and inflation, he noted in a recent interview with Bloomberg. Saylor said the United States Federal Reserve's incessant, incessant money printing it has issued over $2 trillion this year alone, convinced him to park MicroStrategy's treasury funds in Bitcoin amid concerns of global inflation and traditional yields tumbling to near zero in recent times. He added that or Saylor has no regrets over the purchase either, despite the price drop this week. "Quote: We feel pretty confident that Bitcoin is less risky than holding cash. And less risky than holding gold, he had said. He added that Bitcoin's price volatility, which typically compels investors to sell, does not change the firm's core thesis. Quote, right now, this is the only thing we can find with a positive real yield, Saylor noted. Saylor said the so-termed asset inflation will surge to more than 20% this year which would erode the purchasing power of the United States dollar. This means that even if an investor makes returns on their assets, the rising costs alone will set off any gains or profits. Quote, Once the real yield on our treasury got to more than negative 10%, we realized that everything we are doing on P&L is irrelevant. We really felt we were on a $500 million melting ice cube. <clears throat> We've heard that one before. Saylor predicted that other private and public companies will get into Bitcoin in the next three to six months, starting with private and smaller businesses that usually do not have a large board of different investors to convince before deploying funds into investments. Meanwhile, the 55-year-old software entrepreneur said he intends to continue buying Bitcoin with cash from operations. The report stated MicroStrategy is among the first publicly traded companies in the world to have moved their treasury assets to Bitcoin over the usual alter- alternatives like commercial real estate government and government bonds. As the BTC Times reported earlier, the firm owns over $425 million in Bitcoin at press time, which it purchased over two separate periods. So, yeah, yeah. In case you're, like I said, in case you're not sick to death of listening to what Michael Saylor has to say, and I, I kind of am not. Uh, last few podcasts that he's been on, Uh, He's repeated a few things, but generally speaking, so far, uh, every time he goes on, he he has some kind of new nugget to talk about. So I have not become bored with listening to Michael Saylor yet, but I'm sure it'll happen. Muhammad Musharraf is writing for Cointelegraph.com sometime early this morning that Ernst Young has released a new tool for analyzing Bitcoin transactions and on chain data. What better person than a worldwide? auditor to do this then you know okay well yeah big four accounting firm ernst and young or ey has launched a new solution for investing investigating on-chain data including bitcoin transactions the new explorer and visualizer launched as a part of the ey blockchain analyzer product suite according to an announcement on september the 27th the beta version is now available for free for individuals Oh, that's very interesting. EY also said that it will soon make the solution available as a service on its blockchain website. Users will be able to utilize search functions along with this visualization technology. It will allow audit teams to explore and track on-chain data by searching for specific transactions, addresses, and blocks. Then, they, oh, sorry, They may then analyze the gathered data to manage legal compliance and fraud risks. Ernst & Young Global Forensic and Integrity Services lead Andrew Gordon said that the Explorer and Visualizer will make financial reporting for blockchain-enabled transactions more convenient. It will help highlight potential outliers, including fraudulent red flag activities, he added. Additionally, Ernst & Young has launched a new procurement solution on its OpsChain platform, EY OpsChain Network Procurement, which will expectedly enable companies to privately and securely conduct end-to-end procurement activities on the ethereum blockchain good luck bro oh yeah auditing the ethereum blockchain seems to be a seems to be a ghost right now so I, hats off to you ernston young you you go right ahead and try because nobody else can currently available in free beta the solution is said to move business a- processes from enterprise resource planning systems to shared blockchain based smart contracts, Ah. allowing them to automatically track volumes and global expenditure. The solution is also expected to help buyers and sellers have parity and work with globally agreed terms and pricing. So there you go. Ernst and Young getting into it. Uh, Now, finally for you guys over there in Europe, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not often that you guys get some love uh, with Bitcoin because of regulations and stuff, but today is different. This reward app will pay you Bitcoin for shopping in Europe. btctimes.com. Shara Malwa is writing this one sometime yesterday. A new rewards app will pay you in Bitcoin to use the currency for payments at retailers. And it's already live in Poland. Nice. The Satsback app is a Bitcoin Cashback reward platform that allows users to stack SATS, a colloquial term for accumulating Satoshis. SATS backs runs on the Lightning Network, a layer two protocol that enables near, instant, and cheap transactions on top of the Bitcoin network. As per the application's official website, users can receive up to 20% cash back on their Bitcoin payments. Uh, merchant partners listed by the platform include. Gutter Airways, clothing brand Guess, God, I haven't heard from them in years, and sporting brand Nike, among others. Smart shopping in 2020 is buying things that you need online and getting rewarded with Bitcoin every time you do, the firm said in a tweet about its launch. And their, uh, okay, hey, their their Twitter account is at Satsback, S-A-T-S-B-A-C-K. Can't believe somebody hadn't already scooped that shit up, but... The app is similar to rewards app Lolly and Casa Wallet's own Satsback system, which rewards users with Bitcoin after they shop in supported retail stores in the United States. However, unlike those, Satsback requires users to actually pay in Bitcoin. Currently, Satsback does not feature a built-in Lightning Wallet, but users can connect their Satsback account with Lightning Wallets that supports LNURL such as Breeze, Blue Wallet, and Phoenix. Tom Ch- John Jackie, the founder of SatsBack, explained, quote, The way it works is pretty simple. A user logs into our platform on satsback.com, finds a shop from a wide range of partners, and gets redirected to them. Quote, as long as the purchase is completed after being redirected from our platform, a percentage of what they spend lands in their account in the form of Sats, which they are able to pay out shortly thereafter, he told the BTC Times. The firm is among the first to bring a Bitcoin reward system to users in the Euro- European Union. Although SATs Back is initially only available in Poland, the project plans to soon unlock its services in other countries and regions. So finally, you guys over there in Europe are going to get some love. Meanwhile, let's run the numbers. Energy futures, we have oil up a quarter of a point. Brent North Sea oil is up almost, I don't know, about a fifth of a point. Natural gas is down almost two points. Gold is down by, I don't know, 0.17. Its price for, per ounce is going to be $1,863. Uh, it appears, let's see what our indices are. Oh, good, we're saved. All the indices are up a point and a quarter almost. We have the Dow futures up 1.29%. S&P futures up 1.3%. NASDAQ futures up one6 And the S&P mini is up one23 Uh Is there anything else here? Nope, that's going to do it for that. So we'll talk about real money now. $10,883 is going to get you one Bitcoin. The low is going to be over at, is it going to be CIMEX? No, Nope. Our low is going to be at GDAX, $10,887.42, and our high is bid asset, $10,905.89. 287,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 12,000 transactions on average per hour with 2.18 million BTC being sent. In that 24-hour period means that the average number of uh, Bitcoin being sent per hour is 91,000. The average transaction value is seven and a half BTC, and the median transaction value is nominal at 0.033 BTC, or about 350 bucks. Block time is low, nine minutes and 25 seconds. Gee, I wonder why. 0.27 BTC have been, are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 41.5 BTC are being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had, yes, as you guessed it, a bump in hash rate, 6.4% to the upside, but that's not the wow number. The wow number is 151 exahashes per second. That's the highest I've ever seen it. That's a lot of hash. Ethereum is at $360, Bcash at $231, BSV at $175, Litecoin at $46, Ethereum at 5 and a half, Dogecoin at 0.0027, and at 38,000 transactions over the last 24 hours. It beats the pants off of Ethereum Classic and Bcash, but not Litecoin. I don't know why, but Litecoin is getting a shit ton of usage. 153. 1,000 transactions has been made in the last 24 hours on the Litecoin network, but whatever. Clark Moody is looking at a price of 10864 uh Lightning network, we have a 1,114.6 1, BTC in the Lightning network at this time. That's 12000 twelve oh, thousand. 12, that's $12.1 million of liquidity spread across 7,557 nodes representing 37,385 channels. Tor capacity is down below 50 to 49.7%. That is going to be doing it with 553.8 BTC on the Tor side of the network. And that is all being supported by 2,458 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Round two of the morning roundup coming at you with this one out of Narrative Central. U.S. authorities allege woman paid Bitcoin for ex-husband's murder via the dark web. Uh, We spin up this narrative. Decrypt.co Matthew DeSalvo writing this one sometime yesterday. Prosecutors allege that a Nevada woman paid $5,000 in Bitcoin to have a hitman kill her abusive ex-husband. But the website was a scam and she was arrested. (laughs) Whoops, don't do that shit. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Christy Lynn Felkins, 36, of Fallon, Nevada, paid $5,000 in Bitcoin via the phony website, which is no longer active, thinking she could hire a hitman. According to U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California, documents unsealed this week say... Federal investigators busted Falcons when they received a tip off about the website. They traced her Bitcoin transactions to find the incriminating message and arrest Falcons. The alleged murder plot started in 2016. The documents say Falcons started speaking with someone on the, uh, someone on the website using Tor, a web browser, a web browser used for accessing the dark web. No, no, that's wrong guys. Tor isn't a web browser. Some web browsers have Tor functionality, but Tor is not a web browser, okay? Just be clear. The website told Falcons that in order to hide the transaction, she would have to launder the Bitcoin by trading it with different sellers on the peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace, Local Bitcoins. According to the documents, Falcons was skeptical about the scam website, even asked at one point, how do I know if you're not FBI? They do have the capability to infect one's device and Trace them back to their real IP. Just being cautious. Uh, but Falcons continued with the transactions and sent 12 Bitcoin between March 6, 2016, and March 9th to have her ex-husband shot outside of his workplace. The documents say the documents allege that Falcons even asked if the murder could be made to look like a mugging gone wrong. Though when she when told this would cost four thousand dollars more, she asked to just proceed with the plan. And have her ex-husband shot. The scam website asked Falcons for reasons for the murder. She allegedly wrote, This man mentally, physically, sexually, and emotionally abused me. I ran, and then he took my children away from me. He now mentally abuses my children and threatens their physical well-being. He is quite the snake and master manipulator. Yeah, but he doesn't have people killed. The website allegedly told Falcons that her husband couldn't be found at the workplace. When she asked for proof that they had found his whereabouts, the website sent a dodgy photo of the location, the documents say. Falcons stopped communicating with the website, which is now shut down, in April of 2016. The authorities learned of the plot in 2019 and indicted Falcons on Thursday. The dark web has long been used for illicit activities, such as buying guns and drugs, but authorities are catching up. With criminals using the network. Yeah, don't have somebody shot. Just don't. It never, It's probably never going to work out really well for you. And even if it's completely successful and you never get caught, you're going to live with that. That's going to be on your conscience forever. Even after you die, that's going to go way past the grave with you. So you just stay away from shit like that. And also, stay away from shit like talking about the blockchains. Jack Dorsey details Twitter's blockchain strategy at Oslo Freedom Forum. This was written September the 25th by who? Oh, Lee Kuhn for uh, Coindesk.com. When Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey spoke at the virtual Oslo Freedom Forum 2020 on Friday, He said, blockchain technology is the future of Twitter. Oh, God, you're killing me, Jack. Quote, blockchain and Bitcoin point to a future, point to a world where content exists forever. We're not in the content hosting business anymore. We're in the discovery business. As much as I like Jack, this is cringing me right the hell out, man. In short, Dorsey expects the nonprofit Blue Sky to create an open Twitter protocol which users can contribute to and access data from instead of a centralized service where the social media platform hosts content on its website. Well, "Blue Sky is a company's separate nonprofit from the company Twitter," Dorsey said. "We'll focus on becoming a client of it so that we can build a compelling service and business where anyone can access and anyone can contribute." He added the nonprofit is still looking to hire at least five roles tasked with creating a public blockchain platform. You see this most fundamentally in Bitcoin and blockchain, Dorsey said. The keys will be more and more in the hands of the individual. As for Twitter or Bitcoin Twitter as it exists today, Dorsey broadly spoke of the importance of safeguarding users' identities, which may be the key to healthy discourse. Plus, Twitter staff are amping up Reliance and machine learning tools to help identify non-authentic user behavior, a.k.a. propaganda. Quote, I appreciate the difference between anonymity and pseudonymity. Pseudonymity is built identity. We want to protect that. The appearance comes after the now infamous Twitter hack of July 2020. When the platform suffered its most prominent attack in years, a 17-year-old hacker is still being held for multiple fraud charges in Florida for infiltrating some of the world's most prominent accounts and soliciting Bitcoin payments. Quote, security is not anything that can ever be perfected. It's a constant race. The more we're giving the individual the keys, the safer we're going to be, Jack Dorsey said. So yeah, again, blockchaining all the things uh, is probably not going to work out the way that you think it's going to work out. But I don't know. I still like Jack. $130 million hack of KuCoin is going to be frozen by crypto projects, so the hall is in ice apparently now I didn't even know this shit was going on. Uh, this happened on the Kucoin hack happened on Friday and I was busy auditing you know helping to audit the uh, Bitcoin blockchain so uh, I was not aware that Kucoin uh, exchange got hacked but then again i don't ever have to worry about that because guess what I don't do. I don't keep any of my shit on an exchange. Robert Stevens is writing this for decrypt.co on the 27th. Uh, there's a th- leads with an update. <clears throat> so let's read that a previous version of this article said that some coin among them penis dot finance and dino token were stolen. In several cases, the developers of such tokens sent them to the hackers wallet. Okay. Penis dot finance. Okay. Oh, you know, I just, that makes me want to quit doing the show right now. Penis.finance is worth money. That's how stupid this space is. That's how stupid this is. Continuing on KuCoin. The cryptocurrency exchange hacked on Friday has disclosed additional suspicious addresses to which a hacker sent around $10.7 million worth of Bitcoin, tallying up all cryptocurrency addresses shared by the Singapore-based exchange, brings the total amount lost in the hack to $203 million. The true damage may be higher should KuCoin share additional addresses. But at the same time, cryptocurrency exchanges and blockchain projects have frozen some of the stolen assets to minimize the damage, and they've done a pretty comprehensive job. Orion Protocol has updated its smart contract to render $8.5 million worth of stolen tokens obsolete. Covesting has frozen the $520,000 stolen. And Cardia Chain has invalidated $9 million worth of tokens. Crypto company Velo Labs announced that it will invalidate all of the 122 million Velo tokens stolen in the hack worth about $76 million. VIDT Datalink will freeze 14 million VIDT, worth about $6.4 million. Silent Notary will replace all of its tokens, including the $94,692 worth affected. And Ocean Protocol paused its smart contract after $8.6 million was lost. Tether, the stablecoin company that produces an eponymous, or eponymous, eponymous, ep, ep, eponymous, eponymous. I've... Okay, eponymous, U.S. dollar peg coin froze $22 million worth of that cryptocurrency. No word yet on what will happen to penis.finance, pumponomics, retard token, the hunger game, and dino token that ended up in the hacker's wallet. This means that crypto projects have frozen or rendered obsolete or intend to do so About $130 million worth of stolen funds, or 65% of the haul so far, according to information disclosed by KuCoin. That makes it difficult for the hacker to sell those funds on secondary markets and ruin the fragile economies of smaller tokens. Oh, I hope they'd all die. But not impossible. Some of those assets haven't been frozen yet, and today the hacker started to launder some of the money. The hacker has sold a couple of thousand dollars worth of Ocean tokens on decentralized exchange Uniswap in exchange for Ethereum. And trace amounts of synthetics and Ampleforth have also left the suspicious Ethereum wallet. Despite all this, KuCoin is still out of pocket for at least $200 million. It says its insurance fund is large enough to cover all of its users. It estimates that withdrawals and deposits will return within a week. What have we learned? Well, clearly we hadn't learned anything, but uh, as I read that story, what, did you learn anything? Because there should be two things that are very freaking clear. One, don't keep your shit on an exchange. Just don't do it. It's always going to end poorly. Okay. It always has. It always will forever and ever and ever. But what's the second thing? What's the second thing we learned? The second thing we learned is that the only thing you can trust is Bitcoin. I example after example after example of people invalidating their own coins or replacing their tokens or or just doing whatever that they want to do just for, you know freezing tokens you have no control over penis.finance if you god forbid that you hold penis coin or whatever they're calling it or puponomics or god forbid retard token I mean, if you're if you're putting money into any of this stuff, and I'm talking like even like the, the not completely stupid ones. Well, they're all completely stupid, but penis.finance, that's, that's a little different than silent notary. It doesn't matter though. You'd be holding silent notary and it just is going to replace all of its tokens. There's no security here. I don't know why anybody thinks that this is a good idea. I certainly don't. So just be aware, but Bitcoin does set a record of 63 straight days closing above 10,000. At least it's above 9,000, right? Zach Vole writing it for Coindesk.com. It's not a very long one, but let's see what he has to say. Bitcoin closed Sunday at 10,793, setting a record of 63 consecutive daily closes above $10,000 according to market data aggregated by Missouri. The bellwether cryptocurrency's previous record 62-day streak above 10,000 lasted from December 1, 2017, through January 31, 2018, when Bitcoin reached its all-time high of just above 19,900 on Coinbase after soaring nearly 100% in two weeks. Bitcoin's latest prolonged period above the five, the major five-digit mark, however, has been relatively quiet, mostly staying in a fairly small range. Between 10000 and 12500 according to CoinMetrics, 180-day returns of volatility for the leading cryptocurrency has plummeted 41% so far in September. Wow. So the volatility of Bitcoin is just like becoming non-existent. But it's so volatile. Oh, shut up. Whatever. All right. And here's one for the annals of, sorry for your loss, but we tried to warn you. Uh, apparently open bazaar is going to get a breath of life by some unknown investor it was about to close let's let just there yeah, let's let frederick vold tell you what's going on open bazaar temporarily saved from becoming closed bazaar this is out of cryptonews.com when was it sometime this morning the decentralized marketplace open bazaar has reportedly been saved from having to shut down after an anonymous donor has agreed to cover the cost of operating the platform until at least the end of the year. The marketplace, which allows users to buy and sell goods using cryptocurrencies without a central party, has been reportedly dealing with a difficult financial situation for a long period of time. Gee, I wonder why. We'll talk about it. The difficulties eventually led to the platform on Friday to say that it will shut down unless the community comes to the rescue with financial support. Yesterday, however, the team behind OpenBazaar finally came out with good news, announcing on Twitter that a donor agreed to finance operations for the remainder of the year. At the time of writing, the donation wallets listed by OpenBazaar had received a total of about $13,000, made up of 1.09 BTC and 3.4 Ethereum, as well as small amounts of LTZ, Zcash, and BCH. The marketplace previously told Decrypt that that 100,000 USD would be enough to keep it up for the next year. Quote, we still need your support though. 2021 will come soon enough. Please consider donating so that we can continue supporting free trade. The team behind the platform followed up by saying, adding that they will work hard to find ways to lower costs and decentralize more of the infrastructure to extend the length of your contributions. Before the latest solution was on the table, however, things were starting to look dramatic for OpenBazaar. With the company stating publicly last week that its messaging and wallet, wallet app, Heaven, or Haven, will be removed from the iOS App Store and Google Play Store on October the 1st unless sufficient donations are received. Quote We recommend that Haven users immediately remove funds from their wallet the team further wrote in its update at the time. Haven was first announced by Obi-Wan, the company behind OpenBazaar, in 2019, with the company then describing it as a privacy-focused super app built on the OpenBazaar network, enabling users to shop, chat, and transact with crypto privately from their smartphones. As admitted by the team in last week's update on the plan delisting of the app, however, neither the app nor the website had achieved the level of user growth and adoption required to build a sustainable business, end quote. Well, gee, Brian, I wonder why. Could it be that you pissed off almost everybody by supporting shitcoins? Is it possible? Is it? I don't know. Is it in the realm of possibility that while you were pointing at all of us, you know, maximalists and laughing, That because you were going to take cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin fees were too high and you cited yourself on the wrong side of this shit. And now your company's in freaking trouble and you're asking, you're begging, you're begging us for money. Dude, it's sad. Go ahead and close it down. Try it again. Maybe like just call it Open Bazaar 2 and announce that you are not going to take shit coins, that you're going to be a lightning network company and see what happens. Buck around with that and see what happens. And I'll bet you'll actually have better traction than pointing at us and laughing. So whatever, Brian, dude, just crypto exchange BitHum is not liable for customers. $401,000 loss. Wow. Crypto Korean market. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should tell you who is behind this. Tim Alper is writing this today for cryptonews.com. The South Korean market-leading leading crypto exchange Bitthumb has won its legal struggle against an investor who accused it of negligence, claiming $401,000 in USD it, uh, was taken after a 2017 data breach, per news agency Yonap, A man identified only as Mr. A for legal reasons alleged that he had been holding the KRW funds on the exchange, but that his personal uh, wait the personal data was compromised in the data leak in 2017 and the money was subsequently lost. What have we learned? Don't keep your money on an exchange ever under any circumstances. Mr. A was unsuccessful in his first bid to win damage payments from BitThumb, but had been hopeful of overturning the decision at appeals. In an appeals hearing held at the branch of the Seoul High Court, Mr. A told the judge that a hacker accessed his account using the KRW holdings to purchase Ethereum tokens and then converted the said Tokens into fiat on four separate in four separate transactions. The hacker, the court heard, was able to access a verification code sent to Mr. A's mobile phone in order to authenticate the transactions. Bitthumb was found liable and punished for some 36,000 cases of personal data leakage in December of 2017. However. The judge at the high court hearing stated that there was no evidence that proved Mr. A's personal data was among those exposed in the 2017 data leaks, meaning there was insufficient evidence to prove that BitThumb was indeed liable. A number of investors had previously made similar allegations with limited success. Earlier this month, the exchange was declared partially liable for one customer's $27,000 loss in a data breach-related case dating back to 2017 and was ordered to pay $5,000. However, two other claimants logging cases at the same time lost their own legal battles against the exchange. The the easy way out of all this stuff is to not hold your shit on an exchange. I, I I if you're if you're an active trader, I get it, I really do. But I mean, if you trade just a little bit and you know not very often or not at all, then don't keep your shit on an exchange. Just don't do it. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by BTC Sessions. That's BTC Sessions. Actually, it's not his train wreck. He's just he's just driving it. Okay, this is this is Roger Ver's train wreck. Uh, he's an easy target, but he hasn't said anything stupid. In, in like, well, I haven't seen him say anything stupid in a while. But I saw this one having nearly 100 times more Bitcoin. Wrapped for use on Ethereum than in Lightning Network shows LN has been a total failure for scaling BTC. So BTC Sessions has a little comeback for that. Uh, He says, today I learned that degenerate gamblers using IOUs on a network with even higher transaction fees to yield farm food tokens happened because people wanted a scaling solution other than lightning. Yeah, and I saw... There was another one that I saw from Roger, and it was going to be the Daily Train Wrecked until I saw this one. But in in the one that, that I saw, I was... Or he was touting the virtues of Nano. Honestly, he was he was shilling a shit coin. This I think BCH is gonna die pretty quickly because there's apparently another fork that's fixing to come up. Uh, you never know. BSV may actually outlast uh Bcash, which I don't know would be I don't know if that would actually be funny. I don't think I actually want to see that happen. I mean, at least Roger tried, you know, for years, uh, being a good guy Craig Wright and Calvin air have always been degenerate pieces of crap. Uh, so I would rather Roger come out, but I don't think, I I don't think he's going to get out of this alive. Honestly, I think he's going to lose, you know, if he's, if he said that he, if he's true, truthful in saying that he sold all of his BTC for BCH then he's going to be one poor son of a bitch real quick because that thing is just dying. And him shilling other coins and other networks in the face of the people that he told BCH was the future. I I don't know, man. I can't imagine. I don't know what that shit's about, but let's go ahead and get right on into a good, well, into another good joke. Dad says, joke says, I invented a car that moves only when the driver is silent. It goes without saying. Good, one to, good way to end this show. Okay, so it's short show today, 46 minutes. Okay. Uh, there is nothing left to say. It's kind of a it's one of those Mondays, man, where there's just not a whole lot of stuff going on. But uh, you guys keep it together. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.